Hey, welcome into Positive Life. We're bringing a positive influence into this world and into your life. And hi, I'm Bob Miles. And today's episode is going to be on you live by faith and not by sight. And that is from 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul explains why he and the other apostles continue to try to spread Christianity, even though they put their lives in danger by doing so. He explained that the apostles believed they would be happy in heaven after their deaths. They were confident that the earth was just a temporary home until they could be in heaven with the Lord. They lived and acted in the belief in the truth of the word of God. The apostles lived their lives governed by the belief in the word and promises of God, as opposed to how things appear in this world. So what I'd like to do is break down the key parts of 2 Corinthians 5-7. So the first is for we. Originally, Paul meant we is the apostles. Some commentators are comfortable applying we to the present-day Christians. And the second is live. The King James Version translates this part as for we walk. But live is the better translation as the meaning is to live, act, or conduct oneself. The translation using walk was intended so that the reader could have the sense that they were on a long journey of faith. And the next is by faith. Believing in God's word and his promises. Faith is described in Hebrews 11.1 1 as confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ out of Romans 10.17. And the last one is not by sight. Not by how things appear to us while we are living on earth. The translation does not mean vision or sight with the eyes as some commentators suggest. Some suggest this part of the verse is a reference to 1 Corinthians 13.12, where Paul stated that his understanding of God while on earth was unclear and imperfect compared to how he would be able to understand God perfectly and fully in heaven. In that verse, Paul said that we now see darkly through a mirror, and so we need faith. But in heaven, we will see face to face, Faith will be replaced with actual full knowledge of God. When we see face to face, we will visibly be able to see God. It is important to note that mirrors in those days were made of polished metal and did not display reflection clearly as mirrors today. And from Rick Warren, there's no faith without risk. Faith means stepping out into the unknown when you don't know what's even in the unknown. So again, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. That means we walk while looking with spiritual eyes, not physical eyes. We look from God's point of view, not from a human point of view. Faith is letting go of your security. Faith is saying, I'm going to face my fears. I'm going to risk failure. I'm going to dare to move forward. When my kids were young, I took them to the circus. My favorite part was watching the trapeze artist. One of them would swing out, and then the another would leave his platform. Then there's the moment of truth, when the trapeze artist has to make a decision. If I'm going to grab on to the other guy, I'm going to have to let go of this trapeze. Do I let go of the security of one to grab a hold of the security of the other? 
Of course, he doesn't have all day to think about it. If he waits until next time, then he'll go back, and every swing will be a little farther away from his goal. Pretty soon, he'll come back to a standstill and be stuck. There is no time for indecision. It's the same with faith. If you want to grow as a follower of Jesus, you got to take a risk. When Peter walked on water, he first had to get out of the boat. You have to leave the safety of what you've always known for the safety of God's purpose. You've got to let go and grab a hold of God's best for you. Faith is risking the failure. It's making the investment of time, money, energy, and reputation, knowing that you don't have to fear the unknown or what will happen if you can't do it on your own. When you're motivated by faith rather than fear, God can do something awesome through you. So next, I'd like to read you a story. It's called A Man in the Desert. It was a hot day, and the sands were glistening like gold in a desert. Andrew, touring the place, lost his way in the desert. He could not find his way back, and the water in his bottle dried. He was in desperate search of water. Otherwise, he will die due to dehydration. As he struggled walking in the desert, he saw a small hut at a distance. Initially, he thought it was an illusion, but he continued walking towards it, and as he reached closer, he realized it was a hut. He opened the door and found nobody there. It seemed like the place was in an abandoned condition for a long time. He was surprised to see a hand water pump, and it had all connections intact and a pipeline to the ground. Then he started pumping, and there was no sign of water, and he continued his effort and gave up due to exhaustion. He started searching the hut for any other source of water. Then he found a bottle of water hidden in the corner. He was happy, and when he was about to drink the water, he found a piece of paper attached. And written on the paper, it said, Please use this water to start the pump. It works. After you have done, do not forget to refill the bottle again. After reading the message in the paper, he went into a dilemma. Will the pump work if I use the water? Is the pump in good condition? Can I trust the words in the paper? If it is false, then my last source of water will go to waste. He paused for a minute and closed his eyes and prayed. Then he poured the water from the bottle into the pump and pumped it. Soon he heard a bubbling sound and water started pouring out. There was a moment of relief on his face. He drank the water and filled the bottle. Then he got refreshed and refilled the bottle from the hut. He stayed in the hut for some time and looked around. Then he saw a pencil and a map explaining the direction to the nearby village from the hut location. Similarly, he believed that the map would direct him in the right direction. Then he wrote on the paper, have faith, it works. And he kept both the bottle and the paper in the exact place from where he took it. Happily, he left the hut. In our life, there will be times when we need faith. The moment we start believing, things will fall in our place. So next, I'd like to introduce a song by Tommy Walker called I Fixed My Eyes on You. And here it is. I fix my eyes on you The author of Casting aside every sin in every way 
Some song by Tommy Walker, and here's what he said regarding this song. This song was written in 2000 
and is part of my Never Gonna Stop album. I co-wrote it with my good friend Bob Wilson and used Hebrews 12.2, which says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And also from Psalm 27.4, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. This song continues to help me keep my gaze and focus on Jesus as I navigate through these troubled times. As we talked about earlier, Christians look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. From 2 Corinthians 4.18 It is a deep trust in what cannot be seen that provides hope. Paul wrote to the church of the Corinthians that we walk by faith and not by sight, like we stated earlier out of 2 Corinthians 5.7. Jesus stated, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed, out of John 20.29. 20, Jesus ascended and left his spirit as a guarantee. Walking by faith is sometimes lonely, except for the presence of Christ by the Spirit, left to all believers as a guarantee. Christians are frequently called to stand firm in the spite of the isolated place their faith leads them to. Our faith is reasonable, but there are aspects of the gospel we accept on faith and are unable to see. What are those invisible things? And what is the walk of faith? First of all, here is some context again from 2 Corinthians 5-7. Paul's relationship with the church at Corinth was a difficult one. Paul had led them to faith with the assistance of mature believers in Christ. But when Paul was gone, the church was easily swayed by outsiders who opposed his teaching. In Paul's absence, they fell apart, and it was easy for opponents to convince the church that his suffering was a sign that Paul's faith was actually falling. If Christ has really come to save sinners, how could the apostle's life be so horrendous? To Paul's mind, his way of life represented faith. How else could someone suffer so much if not for the reasonable expectation of eternal gain? The Corinth church was struggling it. And Paul's letters suggest a big part of the problem was trusting the Holy Spirit to work in their lives and trusting in the promise of heaven. Faith is trust. What does the gospel tell us which we cannot prove by way of anything other than faith? For one thing, we cannot see what awaits the faithful. But we know that it's eternal life in the kingdom of God by our faith. Paul is confident, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. That building is the individual body, the church body, and a real kingdom invisible to us for now. We know, says Paul, not we believe or we imagine. The original Greek uses edo, which means be aware, behold, consider, perceive. Knowing in this sense combines knowledge with an intelligent perception of an idea which cannot be physically represented yet. Paul based his belief in eternal life on sound, objective evidence as well as subjective, personal experience of Christ. His suffering could have become a distraction from this truth. It certainly was for the Corinthians. 
To Paul, his immediate suffering was supposed to demonstrate his deep trust in what could not be seen and provide a reason to hope. Christ's message of eternal salvation through his death and resurrection was explosive. Saul, before becoming Paul, had originally sought to persecute these blasphemers until he realized that the Old Testament had been leading Israel to an empty tomb all along. When Paul described the body as a tent in 2 Corinthians 5.1, he was also connecting the new church with the Old Testament. God's people had frequently been sojourners, both in the days before Solomon and during Jesus' ministry. Moses and the Israelites followed a pillar of smoke and a pillar of fire, setting up temporary shelters to cover themselves against cold desert nights. They had nowhere to permanently call home until Solomon built the temple. The body as a tent evokes the Israelite trust that God would meet their needs day by day. A tent is impermanent, just like a body is temporary. But once the covering is shed, God provides something better. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit, out of 2 Corinthians 3.18. So as believers, to some extent we already see more than those who chose to turn their faces from God. We have an unveiled face, although we only see in a mirror dimly, for now it is by faith we believe we will one day see Christ face to face at a 2 Corinthians 13.12. Meanwhile, we have the Holy Spirit here as one aspect of the Christian life we cannot lay hands on and inspect up close. They are ways to detect the Spirit in us. Evidence of fruit, out of Galatians 5:22 and 23, describes this fruit. Love, joy, peace, patient, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When one has grown in any of these ways, the Holy Spirit is responsible, and we are invited to recognize this gift living inside of us and in others. The Spirit is not a virus or an implant. It cannot be scrutinized with the naked eye or under a microscope. Everyone holds a belief in something, and Paul says we can be confident. Confident is the word used in the NIV or the King James Version for courage. So we are always of good courage. Is a statement of certainty. Faith is not blind. It is merely sees in other ways. Every faithful believer sees something that is not visceral but still real. Much of our knowledge is like that. We believe someone is trustworthy based on actions which demonstrate their character. We know that an event took place in history based on statements of witnesses and on physical remains. We must examine the evidence and be ready to give our testimony. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Out of 1 Peter 3.15 we all live by faith in something, although not the same things. It is theologically accurate to say and to insist that the Christians must always seek to live by faith and trust in God and his promises, and not be motivated by only what he or she can see and hear in their present circumstances. But Paul says the church at Corinth is already doing that. Paul directly and unequivocally says that we, all believers, do, in fact, live by faith. 
This faith must also stand firm by the strength of eternal reasoning against external forces, and without an apostle to hold one's hand in a spiritual sense. The Corinthians' faith was strong in the presence of a mature disciple such as Priscilla and Aquila out of Acts 18.18, but blindsided by partisanship with the Corinthians factionalizing behind rival leaders. Paul knew what made considerate and appropriate relating especially hard on Corinth, which was an unusually diverse and tough working class culture. Paul sought to overcome the tensions that these differences were bringing into the community by talking about how to love one another in Christ-like ways. And what about the action of walking in faith? I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, wrote Paul out of Ephesians 4.1. Our walk as Christians should be identifiably different from the walk of one who does not believe and has been saved by grace. There is a practical element which must not be overlooked. For if we love God, there will be an outpouring of love towards others. Jesus embodied a unifying love for the marginalized, and Paul taught that their Savior was the best example of what a Christian leader should look like. It could hardly be more dramatically countercultural, and Paul lived out this leadership style in person. Yet walking or living by faith is also about a relationship with Christ. God is looking for not only a clinging bride, but also a walking partner. When we walk with him, we recognize that worship of Christ is not so much a catalyst to action, but an everyday walk of unbroken communion with our Lord and friend. Jesus calls us friend, and we are called to live our lives close to him, confident and worshipful. This is personal and real. Other people cannot fill in for Jesus, whether pastors or mentors. Such individuals promote growth, but they are not the vine. Only Jesus is the vine, out of John 15. We will see Jesus when we die, Paul says it himself. We see dimly today, but the mist will lift one day, revealing his face. The veil between God and man was torn when Jesus died on the cross. So while we cannot fully see him right now, This does not mean that we are cut off from fellowship with the Lord. Living by faith is no hindrance to communion with our Savior. So I'm going to end today's episode on an audio clip by Billy Graham called Life is Short, Live Every Day for God. My clips that I usually play of Billy Graham are about a minute, so today's clip is about right under five minutes, but it's really good, and I thought it would be good for us to listen to it. So, here it is. Time is short. What is your life? It's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. If I told, if someone had told me when I was 20 years old that life was very short and would pass just like that, I wouldn't have believed it. And if I tell you that, you don't believe it either. I cannot get young people to understand how brief life is. How quickly it passes. It seems like yesterday I was in school. Every one of us here has been given the same amount of time in a day. 1,440 minutes a day, 168 hours per week. 70 years God allows us. And it's interesting to me with all of our medical science, we've never passed that magic mark. 
The average American male today lives 70 years and four months. The average female, 73 years and six months. More people live to be 70, but the average age of an American is still 70 as taught in the scriptures. What a thing it is when you think that you have just one short life to spend and it'll soon be over. I'd write down my priorities in life and I'd get committed to certain priorities. Now is the accepted time, the things we ought to do, the classes we ought to take, the books we ought to read, do it now. The family that needs you, spend more time now. Write that letter home now that you've been meaning to write. Money you ought to give, give now. Time for study, do it now. People you ought to witness to, do it now. Every time the clock ticks, it seems to say now, today, if you will hear his voice. There may not be a tomorrow for you and for me because there's a warning to time. Time is running out for all of us. Time is too short for indecision and vacillation. Do not halt between two opinions. Fools say that time is long. Every morning we have 86,400 seconds to spend and to invest. And each day the bank named time opens a new account for you and for me. It allows no balances and no overdrafts. If you fail to use the day's deposits, the loss is yours. The Bible says redeem the time because the days are evil and the days in which we're living are very evil. If there was ever a time for the gospel that can transform the human heart, it's now. Jesus said as long as it is day we must do the work of him that sent us. The night is coming when no man can work. The night is going to come in your life. Yet there was a serenity about the work of the Lord Jesus. It's the quality of life, not the length. Jesus only had 33 years and it ended on the cross. To the world, he was a failure at that moment. Yet at the end of his life, he said, I finished the work that thou gavest me to do. It doesn't matter whether you live another year or two years or five years. Will your work be finished? Is there a quality to it? Is there a dedication to it? Suppose all of our members tithe their time to witness for Christ as we tithe our income for the church. Fill your heart with the word of God. I've found that those who know the scriptures are the ones that have the power today. But we need men and women who walk with God. And if you do that, you too can finish the work that God gave you to do help us to realize the brevity and the urgency of time and may we invest what little time we have in the kingdom of God. So that does bring us into our episode today and I hope everybody enjoyed it. And my closing prayer, as always, is that God blesses the journey you're on with Him and you embrace that path. So next week's episode is going to be on Listen to Me Continually. Hey, you can catch me at positivelightpodcast at gmail.com. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And anywhere you download your podcast, you can get Positive Light for free. I hope everybody had a great week. God bless.
and we'll catch you next week. Thank you.